attention, our time, our hearts and our minds, that you might capture our attention again and afresh and anew, Lord, and impart to us wisdom and knowledge. We want to be wise in this uh, this generation, Father. We want to have your wisdom at all times that we might accomplish what you have set us here to do. We're here for a purpose. And that is to win more to Christ, advance your kingdom, keep your kingdom strong in the earth so that people have a refuge and they know that there is a God in heaven. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So I'm going to talk about liberal Christianity. But first, I think we need to talk about what real, true Christianity is. Because um, I think uh, we we get wise in our own conceit sometimes. You know, we just have these ideas that we think are wise ideas. And I see them espoused in so many different arenas. But the wisdom of God is ancient wisdom. It was before the beginning of time. His wisdom doesn't need to be modified with each generation. I don't think we need to dress up the gospel in modern clothing to make it, quote unquote, palatable. How do you make a, a life, a life raft palatable to somebody who's drowning? You know, you don't care how pretty it looks and you don't care how, uh, you know, how hip it looks. You just want to be saved. And I believe that's really the foundation of all work of God is the salvation of humanity. Uh, Salvation from uh, a distant hell or a close hell or a hell that we live in every day because we've created a life that is uh, going haywire. Uh, There is a salvation there that must be offered to all of humanity. And so when we get beyond wanting to offer that lifeline and that hope and that resolution of problems, then we run into a difficulty. And I think that's where liberal Christianity gets its, its ground, <clears throat> gets its grounding, gets its foothold in the church, is that we move past our understanding of our mission and our purpose here as the church in this earth, and we move into something else. And so, uh, you know, people will say, I remember songs like that old time religion is good enough for me. And, you know, we kind of mock and and make uh, fun of some things like that. But there's nothing wrong with tradition as long as it's based on the word of God. There are some traditional purposes of the church, some traditional activities of the church. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, fundraisers and, and, uh, you know, different groups and you know, all the alphabet soups of all the, the YPPW and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about those things that really are church life in some denominations, but I am talking about traditions that are based simply and solely on the word of God that has that have helped the church to maintain her purpose of bringing good life, hope, salvation Uh, especially salvation that must be at the top of the list because we know that that is God's will for all humanity the Bible says that it's not his will that anybody perish that all everybody come to a knowledge of the truth and come to repentance so that they can be saved and so that is always number one on God's mind for anybody 
is that they not spend eternity separated from him. Jesus died to bring humanity back to God. And so the main purpose of the church must be to bring hurting humanity back to God. Now, whether we bring them back to God in the resolution of their problem or, or the, the remission of their sins, they must be brought back to God. And at some point, the idea and the problem of sin must be addressed, eliminated, and eradicated. You got me? For all humanity. And so we can't get beyond that purpose of the church. And so if you'll turn to the book of Acts in chapter 2, Peter has just preached a sermon. This is after the Holy Spirit fell on the believers in the upper room. And then there was so much excitement and so much uh, energy and, and divine life there that it spilled out onto the streets. Peter had to get up and interpret what was going on by the Holy Spirit. And if there's one thing I need to stress here is that all the activities that you see of the church in the in the epistles and in the Bible after the birth of the church, everything is being done by the unction of the Holy Spirit. These people are spirit filled and they empowered by God to do what they do. And so once you're empowered by God, whatever the spirit of God leads you to do is what God wants you to do. You've got to understand, line up what you're doing with the word of God. You have to have a Christian lifestyle that will enable the Holy Spirit to use you. And so these people were being used by God. They were uh, just being brought into a knowledge of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he empowered was their speech. They got a message They got an understanding of their purpose. All of this fell upon them at one time. And don't tell me that doesn't happen when you get born again, especially if you're spirit filled. Your 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 new identity, your purpose, everything falls on you at one time and the anointing falls on your speech. You talk different. You got a different purpose in living. And that all came into you. When the Holy Ghost was invited into your heart, you were totally changed. Everybody's totally changed. They understand you don't have to tell people, let's go out and soul win. They know what they ought to do. You know, because the Lord has spoken who can help but prophesy. See, when God speaks to you. And so these people were doing what they did with knowledge, with understanding, and by unction. And they went out and preached in this first sermon that Peter preached. He, he preached to the men in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. He begins to tell them who Jesus really was. He brought them into an understanding based on their historical knowledge of Jesus. And then down in verse 36, he says this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the, what shall we do? This is a picture of the preaching of the gospel under the unction of the Holy Spirit. 
bringing people to understanding, persuading men that they are apart from God and there's something they need. They want to know, what do we need to do? They understand their error, they understand their sin, and they want to fix it. And that's the system that God brings everybody to himself, is they get the truth, they understand their sin, and they want to fix it. There's got to be a remedy. They, oh God, you brought me to this point. What do I do? There's, if you told me all this, there's got to be a remedy. And so we bring the remedy. Okay, you bring the remedy. But there is a pattern here of preaching the truth by the unction of the Holy Spirit. That truth has an effect on people who are on the wrong side of relationship with God. They get pricked. It's called conviction of their sin. They understand they're responsible for the death of Jesus. We all get that same understanding. Anybody that gets a gospel preached to them understands that their sin is what caused the death of Jesus. Just like the Jews here in Jerusalem. They, you get that understanding. And that sense of what we call blood guiltiness comes upon you. And you, oh God, I gotta get out from under. So what do I, what do I need to do? And so the remedy comes <clears throat> as the disciples continue on with them they begin to tell him peter said repent and be baptized very simple repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy ghost god takes removes one and establishes the other god will never bring somebody to the point of being pricked feeling guilty and, and wondering what to do without telling them what the remedy is. Always tells them what the remedy is. Whether they accept it or not, whether receive it or not, they always know what the remedy is. Turn to Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> Same thing. Peter's preaching again. In verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed and hanged on a tree. Same message. The same message. Showing them that you had an opportunity to receive this man, you know, when he was alive, etc., etc., but instead you refused him. And we are his witnesses. And he says, excuse me, verse 31. He is the one that God has exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things and also is the Holy Ghost whom God has given to them that obey him. When they heard that, what happened? Same thing. They were cut to the heart. They were pricked just like the other ones. Uh, But they took counsel to kill them. So you got one group begging, well, what do we do? What do we do? They're repentant and contrite. You have another group that hears the same message. They know they're wrong, but they take uh, antagonistic action against the preachers. 
you're always going to get both reactions, folks. It's the second reaction that causes the formation of the liberal church. It's a normal reaction to the preaching of the gospel. It's an expected reaction to the preaching of the gospel. It's Bible recorded. That's how some respond to the preaching of the gospel. But there is nothing you can do to alter this process. This process is something that's above and beyond the preacher. It's not your responsibility to try and get a certain response when you preach. Your responsibility is to tell the truth and to preach under the unction of the Holy Spirit and preach what God puts on your heart and preach it and preach it and preach it and don't ever change it. What made Billy Graham Billy Graham is he preached the same, man. If you watch them tapes, man, it's the same thing. And guess what? He tells people they're going to go to hell if they don't. And he tells them, if you're often reproved and hard, you might be cut off in that without remedy. He says that right out of his Bible to sinners who need to know God. Here they are, cut to the heart, took counsel to slay them. Some are going to be contrite. And and humble and want to fix it. What do I do to fix it? Well, you can't fix it, but I can introduce you to the one who can. And if you'll repent and turn away from your sins and make a commitment to God, he will cleanse you and get you out from under this penalty of your sins. Same simple gospel message. Same simple gospel message. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Verse 1, Saul, he's of the second bunch, the ones who set to slay the disciples for their preaching. Paul's in that group. He went, rode around the country terrorizing groups of believers, getting papers to bring them before the magistrates so they could be flogged and stoned. He held their coats when they, held, when they stoned Stephen. He killed bunches of Christians all the time. Why? Because he thought it was right. There's people out here who are doing sin every day and they think they're right. They think it's okay. They think God understands. They think, well, he couldn't be mad at me because I'm a nice person. It's like that. That's the Paul. That's, that's Paul, the Paul attitude of the day. It says here, He was breathing out threatenings, verse 1, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to go to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He journeyed and came to Damascus and suddenly, suddenly, you know, it's a suddenly season. You see how liberal sometimes our thinking, we think suddenly, oh, that's good. Well, it's good, but it's not good. It's good, but it's bad. There's some rough patch here for your suddenly. But in the end, it'll work out okay, your suddenly will. 
suddenly he hears a voice from heaven. There was a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Jesus. They're persecuting him. Why the church feels so paranoid and self-conscious about everything, I don't know. But they're persecuting the Lord. If you're preaching the right message. If you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're preaching from the word of God and you're sharing with people what God has put on your heart by unction of the Holy Spirit. Have no fear. It'll bring the results you want. Because this same bunch of people, the second bunch that hated the message that sought to kill him, that's him right here. Huh? That same bunch that sought to kill you and hate you because of your message and want you to water your message down and start giving them happy, happy talk. That same bunch will wind up just like Paul did, knocked off the high horse, blinded if they need to be blinded. But God in his mercy will save him. This is how some get saved. He says, I'm Jesus who you persecuted. And ain't it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Remember the people that could prick in their hearts? Huh? They got them pricks. That's what he's talking about. He said, Paul, you got mad. You want to kill people because I pricked you in your heart because you need to repent and cry out to me and get born again. So you can be of some use to me and yourself and everybody else around here. And you got mad the first time you heard the message. Huh? How many else got mad the first time they heard the message? I didn't like it. Huh? But that's the road you go down. If you have to go down the road of persecuting the church and then God knock you down and show you that he's bigger than you are, so be it. The end result is you get saved. The ones who said it at the initial preaching, what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized for remission of your sins. And in, in him right here getting knocked on, the, the end result is the same. They all get saved. Amen. And that's all God wants. It's to save humanity from itself. To save humanity from itself. Jesus said, yes, yeah, hard for you kids. That same pricking they had in their hearts. He started kicking against it. And he lost. Mm-hmm. You kick against the conviction of God and you'll lose every time. You will not win out. Anybody who preaches truth to you, the Bible says that the righteous slap me hard. It's a kindness. <laughs> oh, you got me? So any attention we give anybody is a kindness to them. Did you know that? And I'm not talking about human I'm talking about from God, God using us. He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me do? And Lord said, rise, go in the city and it will be told you what you must do. So we got to drag it out with this brother a little bit, a little tough. But God will do what he needs to do in order to get him saved. So in verse 13, Ananias, and God's talking to Ananias and tells him that Paul's going to come here and I want you to lay hands on him. Ananias said, Lord, you don't know this man. I heard uh, this is an evil man, man. He kills Christians. He goes and all this is that he says, and I know he has authority from the chief priest that, that anybody who says the name of Christ. This man scared for his own life. 
Just like many preachers are. Scared for his own life. So he'd rather pass up ministering. And Jesus said, you look, listen, I got something bigger in mind. He always has something bigger in mind than what's convenient for you and me. He always has something bigger in mind than what you and I can conceive of. He's got something bigger in mind every time he tells you to do something that you don't want to do, you're too busy to do, or you don't like it because that ain't your gift, and you're way up here because you're called, and yeah, we all are. But you're called, you're called way up here. Yeah, we all are. Uh, but, but you're called, and you, you got, uh, yeah, but we all are. Jesus said, you better go minister this man, because you don't know who he really is. You only know who he is in the flesh. How many people get known in the flesh and get pushed ahead of the line? Oh, that's MC Hammer got saved. We... He, oh, MC Hammer. Huh? I'm Barb Williams. I'm saved too. Huh? Oh, yeah. Who, who, he's a he's an actor. He got he's an athlete. He got saved. Huh. They get an appointment with the pastor when you can't. They get on TBN and you can't. It's bad knowing people after the flesh. Paul almost got left blind, folks. I mean, he might have been a preaching blind man, but he'd have been blind. You know, we'd have known him as blind Paul. Huh? If this man hadn't forgotten who he was. Huh? In order for us to get where we need to get, we need to forget who we are, forget who they are that we're talking to and ministering to. We need to forget. And he says, listen, this man is a chosen vessel. Unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. And when Ananias got in further instruction from God, he realized that this man was chosen by God. And God wants to do something with him. God had to bring Paul down to Ananias's level a little bit. He's just like you, Ananias. He, when you needed me and I sent somebody to pray for you. He needs me too, and you're the one who's chosen to pray for him. And so God will bring us out of ourselves. But there are many chosen vessels who get overlooked, who get cast aside, who get pushed aside. Because if we're looking at things in the flesh and something looks more valuable to us because of who we know them in the natural their accomplishments in the natural, or people look less valuable. Homeless. 
They smell when you walk past them. You don't want to sit, want them to sit on the good furniture in the church. We just might have to deodorize some chairs after people leave. You understand what I'm saying? Chosen vessels. When, when God chooses them and they come through that door and they're looking for God, they, they're, they're open. We got to be open to minister to them however God says minister to them. You know, people, a lot of people get screened before they even get to the church. You know, when there's somebody's on the radio and you hear the kind of message they tell and, and you see that it's, it's a money church. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there hurting can't go to a money church. They, they know they're not wanted. So the message, you know, that they hear already screens them out. So the only thing that's left is for people who really obey God to go find them. See? It's where the highways and the hedges ministry comes through. The father said, there's still room at my table. Look at all these empty seats. I don't have enough people to fill it up. You got to go beat the bushes. You got to find people. You got to find people who are blind, halt, lame. You got to find people with no money. I don't care. I know you have a hard time meeting the rent and meeting the bills, but you got to get some people in here with no money. Because if they're a chosen vessel, that's your job to go find them and let me take care of paying your bills. When I got saved, I was saved in 1980. And I had had an extreme emotional breakdown. And I remember thinking to myself... I think I'm going to die. And that thought was with me almost every waking minute of every day. And I kept thinking, I said, well, if I'm going to die, I said, I, I, I'm not sure where I go after I die. And I kind of started to question God. I said, is there a heaven or a hell? Or And so little by little, I began to hear For those of you who think that your prayers for people that you love who aren't saved don't go anywhere. If you think that when God gives you something to say to people, they don't listen. Or you think that things that that you do under the unction with with a heart to, to minister to people and see them saved and all that. You think that's not making a difference. You're wrong. You're 100% wrong. It's not going to be a visible difference that you can see all the time. Or you think you God. If every time you witness to somebody fell on their face and wanted Jesus, you you wouldn't be able to stand yourself. Uh, You'd mess it up sooner or later anyway. All, All humans do. You understand what I'm saying? God has a season for, for all seeds that are sown. So you guys see yourself as a, somebody who's just here to, a chosen vessel. You're just here to sow seeds and let God bring the increase, even though you want to see it bad, nail bite bad. But, but you can't see it because it wouldn't be a supernatural work of God. How much glory would it give if you could just sit there and watch things materialize out of your efforts? But I can tell you little by little, 
things started to come to me of conversations that I had years ago. Things that God spoke to my heart years ago. And then some recent things that he had brought to my attention years ago. And I said, you know what? I need to find that Bible. My aunt, I had an aunt that was a hairdresser. And she had given me a Bible. And I said, maybe I need to find that Bible and see if I can find Well, I didn't know where to read. We were attending a Presbyterian church. My husband had insisted that we go to church. And we went to a dead, lifeless Presbyterian church. I called the pastor to find out if he could tell me. I said, I, I need to find out if I'm going to heaven or hell. And he sent me a book to read. He didn't even know the Bible. And so I felt like God was saying, just trust me, I'm going to do this myself. Nobody gets glory but me. You understand what I'm saying? When you, when you, and little by little, he showed me the way to salvation. He started showing me different people that, that, you know, were on television that preached the gospel for real. These same people now, we called them, uh, uh, what do they call them? Uh, um, they beat you up. See, they, people don't like listening to people like this now. Because they're the beat up people. And see the love people. Never prick you in your heart. And see because I didn't listen to both of them. See you don't get that prick. From the love people. You get a pass. You finally think you're okay all the time. You can never grow under something like that. That's just like telling your tomato plant. Listen I'm going to put you in here with a patch of weeds. And we're just going to let these weeds grow and we're never going to try to pull any weeds out to give you room to grow. See, if you're going to grow, you've got to grow in good ground. You've got to, weeds choke out the life of it, you see. But see, that's just like telling your plant, I'm just going to let these weeds and you duke it out with the weeds and see, you know, you see if you can survive and if you can make it. See, God has to have a way for us to get, even if you say you did everything right, liar, and, and you know, you, you, but God has a way to push us. He has to have a way to push us beyond where we are if we're going to grow. So you're going to have to come under conviction for something at some point. Either you've done been here long enough, you can't stay any longer. You've harvested all you can get out of this field, move and go grow some more. Huh? But you're going to have to get the feeling that to stay here is wrong. You're going to have to feel wrong at some point as a believer in order to grow. I see people don't like that. But let me tell you why that's true. If, say if Charles Finney had not felt wrong when he didn't, didn't know how to win a city for God, if he had felt okay just winning a few souls and a few here, if he hadn't felt I gotta have this or I'm gonna die, if he hadn't had that kind of conviction on him to not settle for where he was anymore, but push himself beyond where he was because God was calling him to do more, then we wouldn't have the type of evangelism knowledge through him that we had, and whole cities would have perished because he would never made an impact for them. He'd have been satisfied with a little soul here and a little soul here and pat myself on the back because I, I witnessed to somebody four months ago. 
See, somebody's got to feel that compunction to move from where they are. It's wrong for you to stay here like this any longer. You must move because God is calling you to do more. He's calling you to do greater. He's calling you to work harder. He's calling you to labor harder. It's not going to be a glamorous thing. It's going to be a labor that you do for the Lord. You understand me? And so if we don't feel that compunction to stay here is wrong, I must move on. To stay here is not where I'm supposed to be. I must seek God for more. What does that mean? Whatever he tells you to do. See, we're afraid of the whatever he's going to tell us to do. I'm going to have to give up my this. I'm going to have to quit doing my that. No, what he does is he provides a desire for you to do that. He's not going to kill you in the doing of it. It's not going to kill you. You may think it's going to kill you now. See, that's when it's genuine and that's when it's from God. It pricks you. You say, man, I'm not doing enough for God. When you see people on television like this uh, football player and his wife, you know, she wants people to get out of our business. That's how we roll. I punch him. He punched me. He dragged me out of the. But that's how we roll. I married him. And get me off your television making fun of us. See, the world is like that, and then people need to be pricked. You know, I mean, they, something's wrong somewhere that this, this is normal, and it's okay, but this is our life. You know, like, like the Duggars say, you know, this is our life, and Johnny K, this is our life, welcome to it, and this is our life. Well, that's, they got their life, too. But see, nobody likes the way it is. So what they do, instead of bringing them Christ Jesus, who's going to make a difference for both of them, they put penalties on them. They take money away from them. They disgrace them. They keep running it over and over again. Because that's the devil's, that's the liberal church's answer. That's the devil's answer for things. And people in liberal churches say amen to it. Because they forgot long ago how to offer people Christ if they have him at all themselves. And so nobody's really giving them Jesus. And they need him so bad. Just pray for God to raise up somebody. Some, some real, for real Christian athlete, not athlete, somebody to help them to. They're not beyond help. Nobody's beyond help. But see, liberal Christians will sit there and laugh at it with everybody else. Oh, did you see this on television? It's just terrible. What are you doing about it? What are you doing besides gawking and making your comments and talking about how bad it is? You talk like you have no power. After God saved me, <clears throat> I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Went to a Pentecostal church. Traditional. That went on 105th and Chester. Pentecostal Church of Christ. And they water baptized me. And they took me to the Terry room. 
And I looked at how spooky people were, and I said, God, whatever I'm here for, let me do it quick so they can let me out of here. That's how you get baptized in the Spirit. (laughs) You know, the two sisters put me in the bathing suit with enough difficulty. I was much smaller than I am now, so don't, don't go there. But you know what I'm saying. It's, that was spooky enough. And they were praying in tongues the whole time I was putting on a little swimsuit. And I'm thinking, why don't they have something else for you to put on? I mean, you know what I'm saying. But anyway, it's just, it is what it is. But uh, I prayed in tongues and I went home. I tried to go back because I felt they could probably help me with problems. But when I went there and God said, no, that's not where I want you to go. I'll check this out. You can know God's voice and not even be in a church. Now, don't tell nobody I told you. He said, sheep know his voice, not church people. See, once once you're a sheep, you sign up as a sheep and you start following the shepherd, it gets easier and easier to know his leading. So then when you get mixed in with the regular herd, you can follow the shepherd no matter what kind of herd you're in. See, I don't care what kind of doctrine they try to tell you and pump in. He ain't pumping nothing into me. Because, see, I under, I have a, I've been grounded in what works, and I know what works, and I know what doesn't work. So it's real hard, and I know when I'm getting stupid. See, I know if I don't read my Bible for a week or something like that, I'm going to be stupid real quick. So I stay in my word. And I stay before God. Same basic things that kept me when I was a new Christian keep me now. But when I was a new Christian, what we did, we lived off of our testimonies. We, you could, you could look at somebody that you just met and after hearing you, you would, the next time you saw them, you knew exactly what their testimony was, how God had changed them. When he changed them, when, when they got saved, when they got spirit filled, you were known because of your testimony and you were known because of the fruit that God had brought forth in your life. That's how you were, that's how people were known. You weren't known by, uh, you know, what size ministry you had or whether you were on television or, Anything like that. You were known by what Jesus had done for you and in you. That was your reputation with believers. A friend of mine that I see her on Facebook now. I remember I was in the Bible. I remember her testimony. She had he had uh, she had her whole face was reconstructed. You know, she had had every bone in her face broken. uh, Boyfriends. Husbands, you know, people like that. Men abused her a lot. I remembered her testimony so well. And I remember when she finally got married and the grandchildren she have now came along after she got saved and married this man. And they have been married ever since. Never, never separated, never have any trouble, nothing. That's what happens when you live off your testimony. You live right for God Every day of your life because you know what he's done for you and that's the most important life-changing thing about you. Anything else you do after that is, is just fruit for God and it's not anything to build your life upon. People like 
uh, Zachary Timms that died of a drug. God, beyond his, his testimony. People move too far away from their testimony. When I was first saved, we all of our meetings were what I call believers meetings. Where you had some things on your heart that you desired from God. All believers do. Number one was household salvation. Remember that? Where you had to know everybody. You couldn't rest unless you knew everybody in your house was saved. That was, that was a burning desire of ours. The other thing is we wanted to pre, we want to be used by God. We heard, we knew that there was a purpose for our salvation. And that was, was uppermost in our hearts and minds. We had to know that we were doing what God wanted us to do. We wanted to be healed. If you were sick, you needed to be healed. If you were oppressed, you wanted to be delivered. And so these things we sought as new believers because nobody had to tell us you have to believe for household. Nobody had to tell you you had to do these things. But you had a sense inside of you that that was part of the restoration work that God wanted to do in your life. You saw a husband that didn't know the Lord and you knew God and you said, oh, God, uh, uh, when is he going to get saved? Show me how to pray. I got to get him in here, too. You had children that didn't know the Lord. You had a God to help me get him in here, too. I don't want to see him on drugs. And you know, you just had to get them all in. And that was just that was on everybody's heart. And we didn't have to indoctrinate each other and make each other believe it. It was just there. It was put there by God. So the church that's that's not liberal understands these basic desires and understands these basic things that are the will of God for all believers. That in your prayer, you you, you got into a group that, that prayed and prayed regularly. And you could go to the altar and get help if you didn't understand things. These, these things were, were, were average and ordinary and common for believers. And that's how we lived. We sought his promises coming to pass in our lives. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we just sought to obey God. Well, God, you mean I don't have to worry about my family getting saved anymore? All these things will be added to me? Yeah, if you continue living for me and do what I tell you to do and and live a life of purpose and dedication to me, I'll do anything for you. You understood that the benefits of God came with requirements. You weren't looking for a free pass. You weren't looking for an easy road. You were wondering sometimes, what's the catch? Huh? Because you know there's a requirement. And it's not that you fear the requirement or you resent the requirement. You're human and you expect that if you're getting something, you've got to put something in. You understand? You've got to invest something of yourself if you're going to receive something. So you felt burdened to see loved ones saved and set free. And we were always witnessing to people. 
You were always inviting them into the promised life. Sometimes you did a good job. You thought sometimes that was not so good. That was kind of sloppy. I shouldn't have cussed them out when they told me I was a holy roller. But, you know, God, forgive me and give me another chance. I mean, remember that. Give me another chance. If you bring it in, they say, ask God to bring an open door around again. He'll bring it around again. So we got a lot of round agains. A lot of do-overs. Huh? <laughs> I remember that little guy, my you know, little custodian in my building. We still lived where Mac lived in that apartment on East Boulevard in Cleveland. And the custodian used to wear one of those little, you know, knit one of those green uh, liberation colored like Tams. They wore call herself a Muslim. And he came up to my apartment one time. I was <laughs> telling me, oh, I know what it was. He was on insulin. And he was, he had taken too much and hadn't eaten. He said, he said, I really need something to eat. And so I said, well, you know, I knew as a nurse, I knew what to give him. I said, I'll give you some peanut butter and some bread. I said, that'll hold you over. And then he made the mistake of asking me, where is the East? And he wanted to turn and pray to Allah. And Allah, I said, listen. Allah ain't paid for S up in here. You get your A turned around, we're going to pray to Jesus. And he turned around and we prayed to Jesus. I was newly saved, okay? I said, you know you don't know nothing about no Allah. That's just some junk they told you in prison. You better straighten up. I said, your grandmother lives downstairs. I'll tell your grandmama you up here trying to pray to some Allah. Oh, no, 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 no. It ain't like that. I said, you better shut up. I don't know if I asked for the business or not that day. but It's a do-over, okay? Somebody with a lot less zeal and a little more knowledge will have to come along behind me and clean that one up, okay? (laughs) One thing about that life, that early life, is we didn't care how we looked doing what we did. You had no sense of self. You know why? Because you were in Christ. See, we we do our best work in Christ. Not up here trying to figure out how not to offend people, trying to figure out how to get more people into our meetings, trying to figure out how to get more money to get more airtime so we can get bigger, bigger, bigger nonsense. See, when you're in Christ, you're lost to how you look. The only thing that's important is that the work gets done and you know what the work is. You look at somebody who's living a rough life and you know what you got to do. You know what you have to do. So we all know what the work is. Let's not fool each other and try to pretend like we're all foggy about it now. Because we all did it when before we knew as much as we claim we know now. Because we were in Christ, the devil worked harder to get us to become aware of ourselves again. Somehow you went from not caring how you looked and 
being assured that if you screwed up, I screwed up that testimony or I screwed up that, you know, I was trying to lead them to the Lord. I don't know where I led them, but God, you know, help me better next time and get somebody to, to, you know, somebody super saint come and, and fix that. Huh? See, that's what's called a pure heart. Huh? We didn't have any kind of deception or guile or trying to pretend or facades and, you know, all. Mm. <laughs> Walking with God a few years has caused me not to have the cuss words so close at hand. You know, that's what's changed. And thank God for it, because it's not a good example of of kingdom, you know, but, you know, it is what it is. So you can step in there desiring to do a good work, and then the devil walks in with something you didn't expect. So you repent, you know, you make it right with God and you say, God, I don't want this. I don't want this to be a thing to stop me from doing better next time. Just assure me that I'm not disqualified. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but God, please don't let no more Muslim devils come up here wanting to pray in my. <laughs> Do me, you, and the kingdom a favor. <laughs> but see, you recognize your weakness. But you don't let it stop you. See, when you're, when you're young in it, you don't let it stop your weakness, and you don't try to fix it up. You just acknowledge it, repent of it, and say, God, help me to do better next time. I don't want to be a person that cusses people into the kingdom. I want to bless people. So the enemy comes... And eventually gets our attention back on us again. He'll give us some way to be self-aware, self-conscious, self-motivated, self-judgmental. And he does it through liberal thought. This becomes an entanglement for us if we don't know how to step out of that and step back into Christ again. You spend too much time wondering about you and why it's not working for you. See, that's a a immature mindset. Because a mature mindset, when you were even a new Christian, you knew it didn't have nothing to do with you. You were dead to you all the time. Now, all of a sudden, you're back alive again. How did that happen? And so you've got to find a way to keep you nailed to the cross. That's why the Bible says, take up your cross every day and follow me. You can't follow me without that cross. And you can't follow Jesus in the flesh. Huh? You've got to pick up that burden. You've got to pick up that thing that kills you every day. You've got to pick up that thing that you wish weren't in your life still. But it's still here and it's killing you. Now you live a normal Christian life and and you can live out of the fruit of the spirit when you're in Christ. But this thing that's not right kills you. 
And you pick that up. You don't, you don't say, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to say it again. Because you know what people do? They, they get rid of their crosses. And I'm going to tell you something, baby. You're going to get another one tomorrow. Your, under your bed is going to be piled up this high with crosses. You done laid down and you don't want that no more. You put it under the bed. Because it's not, it's not changing fast enough, God. I want it to stop. I want this to be over with. Didn't he say pick it up every day? Why are you hollering for it to be over with? You get this one over with, you're going to have a bigger one tomorrow. You better work with that little crucifix in your pocket. Because that's really all this. This ain't the biggie yet. It's big to you because you picked up the self-life again. How does this look to the saints? What do they think about me? They ain't thinking nothing. They really thinking about how to pick somebody's pocket so they can pay their bills this week. That's what most saints is thinking about. Bunch of scheming. Preacher of L.A. addicts. Yeah, Galatians 5.1 tells us that we're not to get entangled with the yoke of bondage again. See, some of your biggest effort will be to keep you free. It's not going to be to get your next breakthrough or to get your next raise or to get your... It's going to be to keep you free. Because the raise is there for free people. See, the breakthrough is there for free people. There's no problems when you're free. Huh? So the church, once set free, entangles herself with self-thoughts again. Self-consciousness, self-awareness. The self-life becomes reactivated in a snare of subtle fashion. So it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. The snare really gets, gets, you can either detangle yourself or entangle yourself more depending upon what you think about it and what you say about it. The worst thing in the world you can say about yourself is that you're struggling. I found that out. See, you know, or God's dealing with me. That's just carnal flesh, prideful carnal flesh trying to sound important. Like God's taking time out of his busy day to wrestle with you about something. God not going to wrestle with you. He ain't wrestling with nobody. He said the earth is his footstool. That leads me to believe that he's sitting there with his feet up on the, on the platform of the earth. And if you're wrestling, you're wrestling down there by yourself. The Holy Spirit lives in us and he don't wrestle with us. 
He either tells you yea or nay, convict or not convict. You do the rest. People get ensnared about things because they take the wrong attitude about it. Instead of hating things that God hates and loving things that God loves, we get involved in our self-business and judging things and I'm on the throne and, you know, I'm struggling and, you know, I used to be able to do this and I can't do this now and, you know, yada, yada. It's entangling yourself. We do it by self-consciousness. We said that. The self-life becomes reactivated in a snare of subtle fashion. We become critical of ourselves, calling it holiness. And then that translates onto the church. We are critical of ourselves and then we, we uh, expand it over to include criticism of the church. And we've all heard the church doesn't pray enough. The church doesn't do this enough. The church doesn't do that enough. Well, it's you that don't do it enough. Enough for what I don't know, but you know, you say it's not enough. It's not enough. So you go do it some more with your little religious self. If you don't like yourself, you won't want to reproduce more of yourself. So evangelism stops. Oh, we're the church, but we don't know how to love the gays. Well, how do you love yourself? What do you mean? Just what I said. See, I knew it. You don't know how to love the gays because you don't know what love is. If you don't understand what love is, you've got a Bible and you've got God. And you can go to him for direction. You go to him for understanding. Huh? Most people are being useful. God calls you to be useful where you are. If there are gay people in your, where you are, he'll teach you how to love those people. But it's no blanket love for everybody. There's no love blanket that we put everybody under. It's a love tent. Huh? Well, they, you know, most Christians were at Woodstock, a lot of them anyway. They know the whole drama from there. You get a bunch of people together, they can't stand each other unless they hide. I'd be high on something. It's either drugs, you know, you're drinking or something. But you can't get a group of people together and treat them nice unless they got something. I remember when when I was in the world, you went somewhere and the first thing you had was a cocktail. And it's happy hour. Huh? That's when the love end starts. That's when you can tolerate people around you because you're doped up enough. To be nice to people. You love everybody when you got liquor in you. Dope too. Marijuana too. Love everybody. So don't buy into the there's not enough love 
only place there is love is in the church. There's no love in the world. Are you kidding me? Oh, I know there's love in the church, but we don't love people right. Well, what's a wrong way to love somebody? Can you tell me? When is the love of God wrong? See, that judgmentalism and criticism of the church has been around forever. And once we get absorbed with self, it becomes easier and easier for us to levy judgment against holy things. The church is protected by the Holy Spirit. The blood of Jesus is the witness to the church's purity, sinlessness, and holiness. There's nothing wrong with the church. Now, I know it's, it's very uh, popular to criticize everything, but there's nothing wrong with the church. And let me tell you how I can tell you prove that to yourself. You ever see people that have issues With the church, they can't stop ranting and raving. I don't care what subject you get them on, pretty soon it'll drift over into their pet and you say, here we go again. What's wrong with this guy? Let me tell you why that happens. When you accuse the church, you accuse the blood of Jesus of not doing its work that it testifies has been done. For the body of believers. And if you think you're going to win that argument. You're wrong. Because the more you accuse innocence. The more condemnation comes on you. I have seen people make themselves. Carlton Pearson is one. Made himself crazy. Accusing God's people and God. Of not being fair because how can all these people be going to hell? Well, did you write the Bible? See, once you start accusing, you let your little mind keep wandering and fishing into things that are not your business. Some things you got to take by faith and leave it alone. I didn't create anybody. I didn't create a heaven. I didn't create a hell. I'm just a vessel being used and I'm trying to stay on the right side and not get over into stupid. See, what you're doing now, brother, is just totally stupid. Because you presume to judge a holy God who you claim has bought you and paid for you. Why are you so free to point the finger at God and say there's something wrong with him and his system? Because he would send people to hell. And you've never been there. You don't know what hell is. (laughs) A lot of these people don't even believe there's a hell. Just a word to them. And so we have to be careful. See, that's impurity in your heart. See, when you you got little things lurking in there where you want to criticize and pull down and eh, something's wrong. Impurity. See, it's impurity. You, uh, you start accusing the blood of Jesus that we all are looking 
to be the reason we get to heaven and the price paid for our heavenly ticket. The blood of Jesus has done all of that and you will accuse that blood of not doing its work the way he, he says he done. You got hell to pay yourself. You keep saying it and saying it and your rants get longer and longer and longer. And they get stupider and stupider and stupider. And the only people you can draw towards you are the people who think it's it's fun to know somebody who's crazy like you. Huh? Because they're they're disgruntled too. a lot of them aren't even saved. They just like to talk about God's people. So they'll join you. And pretty soon the only company you have are gays. So you go and marry them because you're looking for some support for your stupid idea. So when we become critical of ourselves in our church, what happens? We don't want to reproduce ourselves. So evangelism drops off. Stops. You you don't want to go into to all the world and preach to anybody. Because you don't believe your message is worthwhile anymore. You've torn it apart so much, you don't even believe it anymore. You don't believe the, the message is right. You don't believe it's preached right. You know, you want to talk about uh, preachers who preached hundreds of years ago and how their preaching was wrong. It's not enough for you to try and mess people up in this life that you're living in. You want to go back in history and undo that and rewrite that. Tell people that's wrong. Strip away our confidence in our church fathers, our confidence in, in, in the different moves of God and what they brought into the earth. All of that they want to strip away because they have to be right. See, you're involved in the self-life now. Evangelism drops off. Household salvation goes on the back burner. Divorce increases in the church because we don't really believe in what the word says about Till death do you part. There's always an excuse for why we can get out of it. So instead of it, salvation and household salvation being on the front burner, we move it way to the back. In fact, it's on a, the burner's coal now. And what we've moved in the forefront are things that pertain to the temporal life. What's Oprah talking about? What's in the news? What can we parrot that we hear out there that sounds like it's a worthwhile cause? So we get involved in new age stuff. We want to save the rainforest and we want to, you know, save the animals and do all these things. We want to practice yoga and we want to uh, do all of these things that the material realm, the natural realm now values and enjoys. And I guess I should say the religious side of the natural realm. That's how you have Christians uh, go and visit a mosque. And now they want to investigate what it means to be a Muslim. Huh? Why? Because they got re-involved in the self-life. And now they're looking for something out there that seems like holiness to a carnal person. And what do you grab? You grab religion. You don't care what religion. 
And if you want to uh, get even with the Christians that did you wrong, you go to the worst religion you can go to. You don't go to a uh, go from non-denominational to a traditional church. You go to Allah because you want to pay them back. It's payback time. So household salvation's on the back burner. You don't care about getting people saved anymore. You want to pay people back. So we got a lot of people out there paying the church back. We've got we've got preachers, you know, second generation preachers. That instead of following father's tradition and go ahead and do what father left for you to do and pick up the torch and carry it on, we decided we want to criticize all the people we made fun of in the church when we were growing up. Amen. And you see it everywhere. You see it in their preaching all the time. They want to talk about how, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they thought holiness was wearing your hair back and looking ugly. Well, how many times do we have to hear that from you? Why don't you give us something that has life in it, something that's going to feed a person's spirit, something that's going to edify the body of Christ? Well, they don't want to do that because they've long fallen out of love with God's people. Long fallen out of love with God's people. A religious church starts to struggle again. You leave your first love and you go go for a substitute, you're going to struggle. So the religious church feeds on prosperity doctrine, feeds on happiness doctrine, feeds on God will do it for you doctrine, feeds on all of that kind of doctrine, but never reproduces itself. They just bring more people in that want to feed on that. Many of the church people now are not born again. You can see it from the statistics when they show you statistics of what the average church goer believes. You can tell they're not saved. They don't believe in a literal creation. They don't believe that God really created the universe. They don't really believe that there's a hell. They don't really believe. They believe there's a heaven, but they don't really believe there's a hell. They don't believe in that. They don't believe in eternal damnation or judgment. So they're not saved. Care what they say they are. They are not saved. You've got to believe every word. Man does not live by bread. You believe every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You can't just believe Romans 10, 9, and 10. You've got to believe every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We violate the first principle of seeking. Seeking first the kingdom and righteousness, how to be right before God, how to keep a pure heart before God, how to live for God. All of that gets violated and we pick up the self-life and what's left is religion. Where we used to be thankful that God said he would save our family. Now all of a sudden it's replaced with God has something better for me. 
these people aren't aren't going to go where God wants to go. Or, you know, I I have you know, we're we're divorcing and it's mutual. Suppose you both mutually decide that you don't want to live anymore. You go in there too? <laughs> We're supposed to respect the fact that it's mutual, even if it's stupid. The fact that it's mutual means it's going to happen. You know, years ago, you used to respond to that unction that told you, no matter what anybody thinks, God's word is true. He's going to do it. He's going to bring it to pass. He can do anything. He'll fix anything. But you don't, you're so wrapped up in yourself and religion, you don't even respond to that unction anymore. We focus more on our emotional state. And whether we're happy or not, whether we feel good or not, we're not sure what will make us happy. So we look to the world for ideas, you know, all kinds of ideas from the world. The world says we have to be happy. Oh, no, you can't. You deserve better than that. Well, where is it? I've been living all my life with the same thing happening to me over and over again. You keep saying I deserve. What's the better? Huh? See, the believer will say, I give you Jesus. Huh? But, oh, no, you know, we got to think of something that, that's better than, you know. Well, come on with me to yoga class. That's what we're doing now. And, and, and you know, we can you just take your mind off of it for a while. And, and maybe you'll meet somebody while we're there. Christian mingle. I was watching the 700 Club and they, you know how they have the the letters, the questions from viewers. And there was a woman that that, uh, Gordon was was, uh, answering the questions. And there was a woman that um, wrote a letter and she said that um, my boyfriend and I are going to move in together. And... uh, he, but before we decide to get married, he's not a believer, and I'm concerned about that. And Gordon tried to keep his eyes from rolling all around in his head and had smoke shooting out his ears. And he said, I don't believe I'm hearing this. He said, do you know what the Bible says about fornication? And he had to bring her back to... See, that's religion, folks. You know, she's living a self-life. She just wants what feels good. She doesn't want any commitment. So instead of saying, I'm a hoe, and I go to church, and I'm moving in with him, and I don't want to marry him. But then she said, oh, yeah, there's a scripture that says if he ain't a believer, I don't have to marry him. She's going to stay there and sleep with him. Now, see, this is a twisted world we live in. See, folks, when you start trying to to tell people 
that we have a simple message about the love of Christ, they really think you're crazy when they live like this. See, this is a complicated life this person has constructed for themselves for no reason. And no doubt she's been resisting the message of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and living a life of holiness so that God can bless her. And she's in a place, no doubt, where they dress up their sin with a bunch of religion. And it's fine for everybody. But see, if, if Gordon says that and she's upset about it, now he's wrong. Because, see, we, with church, we got to have love. He shouldn't have told that sister that, not about the fornication part. He should have just answered her question. He did. Give me this crap about an unbeliever. You just want to sleep with somebody. You ought to be ashamed of your little nasty self going to church. Rolling out the same bed on Sunday and try to act like you like everybody else. See, now she's feeling like, oh, this is wrong to marry an unbeliever. So, see, religion is what beats people up. Not the preaching of the gospel. That, That word, when you hear the gospel preached, that word pricks you and holds you right there for God to come and offer you your way out. Way out of your life of sin. You got to take the whole medicine, folks. You can't just go to church and think you're okay. So she's living a life of sin and under conviction from it, no doubt, to some degree. Then the devil comes and beats her up with religion and tells her she can't marry an unbeliever. So she stays in a state of perpetual fornication. Because I can't marry an unbeliever. And well, you know, we, he pays half the rent and I pay half the rent. Move. Quit paying rent there. Go to Jesus. You'll find believers holding on to remnants of their, the life, that, the truth that they've believed at one time through religion. See, they just make a, they take it, take it one little truth that they enjoy and broaden it to include their whole life. Hear Oprah Winfrey do this. Oh, you know, some, oh, I love Donnie McClurkin. He can sing. And you know, that's probably the only thing she remembers from her growing up that gave her any kind of emotion. She likes the emotion of things. And so she stretches the singing out to include the whole of God. Don't like Jesus. No, I don't believe in Jesus. I think God's in all of us. And she'll find people who are ministers that will witness that with her. God's in all of us. We're all created by God. But if you want God in you, the hope of glory, you've got to be born again. It's like Peter said, repent 
and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Know that you've turned your back on a life of sin. You can't have that life and life with him at the same time. You're living in falseness. So remnants of the believer's life are held on to by religion. Religion masquerades as faith and rides along with the believer who has adopted the world's values through the self-life. So then when we get into religion, we think we're in faith, just like the believer who is in faith. is believing God. You know, you'll hear people think pick up the religious phrases, the, you know, the charismatic phrases, and I'm trusting God, I'm believing God, and I'm in faith for this, and I'm confessing that, and let's confess for this, and let's come, but they're not in faith, they're in religion. Amen. You can tell by the fruit. Yes. You know, if you're, if you're in faith, faith has certain results that it will bring in your life. If you never get a material thing with your faith, faith people have a righteousness, peace, and joy life in the Holy Ghost. You get righteousness, you get a lot of material stuff following you, chasing you down. You don't have to go seeking for it. It'll come find you. Sometimes people don't hold on to what God's given them. For one reason or another, or they, you know, mistake it, you know, get get into fear or something like that, pass it up. But they won't do it forever. They get smart after a while. But but there's a a fruit that follows faith, follows a life of faith is is unmistakable. People who are in faith are not easily moved. Faith is solid as a rock. It's you know, it's. You just know what you know. People can't talk you out of it. You know you're going to heaven. They can't talk you out of that. You know, Jesus is going to answer this prayer for you. They can't talk you out of it. You just hold on until it comes. You look at them like they're crazy. They try to give you the crazy eyeball and you give it to them right back because they're the nut. And you're the one who's in the real world. Life of faith is like that. It's different. You're not wavering. You're not looking for, and you're not insecure. Let me say that too. Because there's a lot of insecurity running around masquerading as confidence now. A lot of insecure people are trying to pretend that they've got it. Like faith people have it. And all they do is run around and look for the next name person. To tell them they're okay. And if they don't get that, they almost want to fall apart. They keep going on preaching for God and doing the things that they do. But they're really looking for that person that's going to put them over the top. You know, put them over the, you know, insecure. They don't know who they are. Don't know how to stay under the shadow of the Almighty and stay in Christ and let that be their contentment. They keep coming out looking for something else. You know, God has you where you are for a reason. The Bible says his name is Jealous. Jealous. And the power of God falls. 
That's his name. So jealous means he wants you all to himself. Now, if you want to be loved, I mean, come on, what more do you want? You know, the biggest complaint that when you find people, married people who are having difficulty, the biggest complaint of the, the husband toward the wife is, you know, on the respect lines, you don't. Do what I tell you to do. You don't listen to me. You know, talk back too much. But from the women, it's it's the men. You won't fight for me. You act like I'm not important to you. When I ask you to, to you know, you just just sit there like, you know, it doesn't mean anything to you. In other words, there's no jealousy in your heart for my love. I don't hold a special place here for you. Knowing that. Why do we look to mere humans when we serve a God whose name is Jealous? Huh? And that brother probably ain't going to never fight for you. But y'all don't have to fall out about it. Because you ain't going to do a lot of what he wants you to do either. Always go, God, I'm sorry, I did it again. And you're going to do it again and again till you decide to let me help you straighten out. Well, if you really want to do it right, I'm here to help you do it right. So here we have this jealous God tugging at us all the time. And we're so, so connected to the natural realms. He's not in Christ anymore. Like We go in Christ when we need some. We come out looking for somebody to give it to us. Right. In and out, in and out, in and out. Till finally one day you realize that's the best place for you whether you have anything in this world or not. You think back when you first got saved and you didn't care who thought what about you. You was just going to get out there and give the message and you messed it up a hundred times but you gave a message and you were so glad God used you God I got a chance to witness to somebody today and that made your day it's supposed to still make our day those little things we do under the unction and we're not when we're not in us when we're in him So religion masquerades as faith. We said that. Rides along with the believer who has adopted the world's value through the self-life. That's all they have. Like that girl living with somebody. But religion tells her this is important. He's, he's not a believer. So that's what. And, and write that guy on TV a letter about it. That was probably the most right thing she ever did. Because no doubt if she's in a church somewhere, she's going to a church and nobody knows what she's doing. Or if they do, they don't challenge her because everybody's doing it. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts with all diligence. Hold on to the word. Hide it in your heart. Don't let it depart 
from you because that's your health, that's your life, that's everything to you. So in, in guard your heart. Don't let any impurity start to work its way in there. Impurities come through insecurity. We look at outside of ourselves. You get in yourself and look outside of yourself. And you start evaluating your life based on something else you see in the natural. Single people. Look at married people. Look at them real hard. Because see, y'all don't look hard enough. That's why you want to be married so bad. But if you look at them real hard, you see it's what you make it. Then you got to work hard at it. Finding somebody is saved is not no easy street life. Mm-hmm. You don't have any don't have any hidden things in there that you don't want exposed. That's how you guard your heart. You expose it. You know, you just God show me what's in there. Man, you mean that's in there? I hate that stuff. I hated it when I saw it on so-and-so, and now you tell me I got it in me? I don't like that. That's how you guard your heart. You seldom hear preachers tell believers to do that, even when they're new believers, new beginners class. They don't tell you to keep short accounts with God like they did when I was a new believer. Don't let the sun go down. Or you know you've done something wrong today. Don't let the sun go down before you get it straight with God. You're on the outs with somebody. You don't let the sun go down before you call and make it right with them. Make sure that there's peace between the two of you. Or at least you pray about it and ask God to make that connection so you can make peace with that person. You give it to God and let him arbitrate and straighten it out for you. And keep, you keep straight with God. You keep that. If you, don't, if you fall out with everybody else because you're serving God, you keep that pipeline straight between you and him. To guard your heart with all, then be diligent about it. Not sloppy. Not every now and then. Not when the answers are slow coming in. You think, well, maybe I did something wrong. He did a lot of things wrong, so don't even go there. Pretend like you know that's a new thing for you. You talk to God and you get help. You ask for help. You don't assume that you're okay. You ask for help. Don't let the enemy set up camp. In your mind or your heart, keep playing the same story over and over and over again. Rehearsing it, unnursing it. Oh, you don't know what they did to me and you don't know how hard it was. We've all heard it a million times. Put something else on the play. That's what Paul said. He said, take that record off. Think on this. Whatever is good and pure and good report thankworthy and praiseworthy. Think about that. Quit thinking about what somebody done somebody wrong song. Don't let the enemy set up camp through anger, envy, retaliation, pride, and cover it up with religion. The church has allowed her heart to be penetrated with impurity. The enemy accuses us of not loving, not giving people hope and encouragement. We, in turn, accuse one another. 
No, the church doesn't know how to love people. Well, this is one thing I have against the church. You shouldn't have nothing against the church. You got some against yourself. This is what they call a straw man. You know what that is? It's not somebody who's real with any kind of real power, but it's somebody they create to make you think you're fighting something real. That's what the church does. We create a straw man of we don't know how to love the homosexual and we should be tolerant of people. No, we shouldn't. Because they get tolerated all the way to hell. And our job is to stop them from going there. That's our job. Our job is not to prove how nice we are or how loving or how tolerant we are. That's not what we're here for. That is not the church's purpose. Jesus did not die for us to tolerate one another. He died for us to love one another. How do you show your love? You lay down your life for that person. In other words, you tell them the truth about Jesus Christ, even though they hate you for it, you tell them anyway. Truth is to prick people who are not living in truth. It's going to prick them. Know what a prick is? It's nothing. You didn't murder them. You didn't bury them. You didn't take their money. You know, strip them of everything. You said some words that were truth under the unction of the spirit. And their consciences got pricked. They, they knew that they were doing. They knew it was wrong for the first time. They knew it was wrong. When we accuse the body of Christ, we accuse the blood of Jesus. It's a no-win argument. The blood is pure and blameless, blameless, and it has done its job to purify the church. And we are not going to win accusing the church. Period. I don't care what we accuse a church of. You don't love enough. You don't give enough money to missions. You don't go out and, and witness enough. You don't do that enough. You don't do that. You keep doing that. If that's what you really feel, why don't you go out? Shut up. Go out and do what you're supposed to do more. But see, that's an old stinking religious thing to do. You sit on your big religious thing and don't win any souls. And then you accuse everybody else of doing the same thing. It's a trap. So the liberal does this. Liberal sinners accuse the church. And so the liberal church picks up their mantra. The liberal world makes accusation of the church based on situational morality. You know what that is? They have no Bible. They have no code of laws. They have no rules. They have nothing that governs them. So they make it up as they go along. Right now, there's a war on men. Because if you do anything wrong, you say anything wrong, we got you. We got you and we're going to slap penalties on you and we're going to put you on TV and we're going to expose you and drag you through the mud. We have no, there is no hope for you. That's what the world's accusation does. 
when Peter preached the first time, those men were pricked, but they say, what can we do? See, when the gospels preach, you know you're wrong, but at the end of it, there's a little little ray of light there where you know there's something you can do to fix this. You find out you don't have the fix, but you can go to somebody who there's hope for you because you know it's not a death sentence for you. When the world accuses you, you are handed a death sentence and they don't care if they hang you out to dry and you never come back again. You get double jeopardy. If what you've done is a criminal offense, that's not that's not enough punishment for you. With the world of accusation, the criminal the criminal penalty is not enough for you. They got to strip you of your livelihood, your dignity. You can't go anywhere without people following you. You you lose all hope of of a normal life again. You just want to kill yourself. Because it's over for you. See, that's what the court of accusation does. That's why God hates it so much. That's why he hates accusation so much. He said, you're not to bear false witness. When you accuse the church, that's a false witness. And these people who want to crucify twice people who've made a mistake. See? The... the, uh, 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 Oh, the wife beater. You don't get a second chance. Oh, most of them wind up killing. No, there's no, you can't rehabilitate those people. See, we throw enough people in the garbage heap, and who's going to run the world after a while? There won't be any, oh, there'll be these accusers. Oh, I know, the accusers want to take over the asylum now. So all they do is more accusation. Well, if you disagree with them, then, you know, you, you're, they call you names. See? You know, we have a president that nobody ever wanted to tell him he was doing anything wrong because every time they said something, I mean, if it was true, he didn't do something right. You're a racist. So you they put a label on you and put you in a box and your words don't mean anything because we boxed you in. Now we know who you are. That's not legitimate criticism. You're a racist. You can't say that. When a woman gets in there, it'd be same thing again. You can't say she's doing something wrong. You know, you're sexist. You don't, you don't like women doing things. So the accusations, see, the world lives now by accusation. And they don't care. They don't really care about truth. Let me put it to you this way. Thank God, God is a God of wisdom and mercy and love. Because he can come into these situations where the accuser has gotten the better of people and he can bring truth out. So it's the only thing we have going for us as a church is our knowledge of truth, our confidence in truth, our high value that we place on truth, and our desire and our determination to tell truth no matter what. See, that's all we have going for us. We are the the antidote for the accusing. Amen. So let us not go liberal and start accusing people ourselves. When O.J. Simpson was on trial, and even now, there are people that 
Oh, he did it. There's no doubt he did it. Even with a, a decision by a jury of their peers, some people refused to let go of accusation. See, they're, they're decided he did it. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, people say, well, if he did it, why didn't they bring us more evidence? Thank God you got people who are determined to weigh evidence and not just listen to public opinion and accusation. See, you'd never get a fair anything if people just went by what TMZ said they taped about somebody and saw on somebody. Huh? All them two people had to do was say, that ain't us. Huh? That ain't me and my wife. We wasn't there that week. I don't care what you say. I don't care who said they saw us. Who said they, uh-uh, that ain't us. And keep saying it ain't you. You know, there are a lot of tapes and, you know, they, they, everything's taped anymore. You know, you got stores that get robbed and somebody's on the tape. Well, that looks like him, but that, I can't quite sure be sure that's hard to make a positive ID from a fuzzy video. That kind of looked like them. Oh, no, you know, that's probably that couple that went in ahead of us. I remember it now. We was there, but they, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that because I was scared. And I let them get out the elevator and then we got in. Or we decided to walk. Huh? Don't give the accuser any more fuel than he needs. It's an accusation. See, we have a court of higher resort we can go to. And be honest with you, anybody can go to this court. Anybody can appeal to Jesus at any time. Huh? Anybody, saints, sinner, whatever, anybody, intercessors. We appeal to people, to Jesus on people's behalf all the time. We don't know if they're saved or not. And it's not really a qualification for interceding. All you got to do is have an unction, intercede for people. That's how much God wants to help people. To get out from under the penalty of the accuser. God wants to help people so bad. That he's developed a whole science to help people to be exonerated when they're falsely accused. He hates false accusation. He hates accusation, period. Because that's not our job to accuse one another. That's not our job to point make each other feel guilty about things. That's not our job. It's not our job. Our job is to bring one another to repentance. If there's some, you see a brother going in a wrong way, a strange way, you bring him around with the word. You know, you bring him around to a place where he says, oh, I see that. That's not, I can see that, that that's, God's, not, that, that God's not in this. He's not leading me this way. Yeah. This is what I want to do, and i got to stop doing what I want to do. I want to go and do God's will. Accusation is a, a mean devil, folks. It tries people in a court with no mercy, with very little evidence. There's no mercy in the court of accusation. Because of accusation now, the church decides to compromise with liberal thought. Because we don't want to be accused either. See, we're, we use that as a weapon and a tool against one another, but yet we're afraid of it ourselves. So we don't want to be accused of not loving and not doing the right thing. So we just go along with a lot of liberal thought. 
The liberal in his pride feels he has the answer to the problem that the accuser has conjured up because he listens to the accuser. His mind is so fraught with accusation, he just mulls things over and thinks he comes up with an, uh, an answer for everything. So he buys into the strong man war. This is a fake war, and it pits brother against brother instead of a pitting the church against Satan. So we wind up biting and devouring one another instead of devouring the real enemy. The only war that's legitimate for us, we are in a war to preach the gospel by picking up God's weapons of warfare, which only work against Satan and his kingdom. God's weapons don't work against each other. Don't ever make the mistake of wanting somebody to get what's coming to them. You might get what's coming to you. If you're focused on the gospel and you're distracted by self-interest, friends who are carnal and justify accusing the brethren and associates with church issues will come to your 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 uh your age you'll start to draw people like that to you ever notice people who start in corners will draw other people with with carnality on them you know so the uh, the person who tried to live right and stumble gets lumped in with the fornicator and the adulterer and all these people because they they have one thing in common this overriding thing that they all feel that they're at odds against the church because somehow the church has failed them when nobody's failed them. They never really got into the race the way they were supposed to. And many times people give half-hearted, they give half-hearted effort and they get half-hearted results, but they convince themselves they've been doing everything they're supposed to do and God still didn't bless them. God really wants to keep our feet in the preparation of the gospel. Your biggest defense against the accusation is to keep your feet in the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6, 11 through about 16 tells you about the full armor of God. When it talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, keep yourself ready to share Christ with people. See, the real church is working for God all the time. I thank God for people who just stay focused on the work and focused on what God has has set them and focused on God's purpose in their life and don't get distracted by nonsense, you know, by chatter and nonsense conversations. Because the more you can stay focused and keep your feet ready to move out and preach for God and share Christ with people, the harder it's going to be for the accuser to catch up with you. He's not even on the same wavelength with you. You keep your heart uh, right before God. And when I say right, I mean just stay open to God to do what he needs to do in your life. Now, if he wants to fine-tune you and tell you, you know, just hold back on this some and don't be so 
aggressive with this or tone this down or something like that or wait for me to open a door. Don't you don't have to bang a door down to to work for me. Just let God work with you. Just let him do what he needs to do to help you to be better at what he calls you to do. But keep yourself focused on stepping out there uh, arrayed in God's armor. Stay in Christ where you don't mean anything. You understand what I'm saying? Let God takes care of you. You know, when you're in Christ, you have an awareness that you are taken care of. Now, you can't be in Christ without that awareness. But you have that awareness that you are taken care of and you are cared for. And then that gives you the security that you need then to move out. And if people don't like what you tell them in the gospel, it doesn't prick you one little bit. You're not discouraged. You say, well, God, help them to receive what I gave them. I gave them the best that you gave me. And and I just want them to receive Christ and move on. You know from the book of Acts that some people that got angry later on got converted. Some people will receive it and thank you for it and get converted right away. You got to be woman enough and man enough in God to receive both of them. You understand me? You got to understand people are people. It's not it's not up to you to control the reaction that they have to the gospel. And I think that's where a lot of these accusers err. They want to control people's reactions to their words. So they give them nothing but soft words all the time. Huh? Hang in there. God's going to help you. Well, don't be mad now. Be glad because don't take a sad face. Have a happy face because God's with you if you just hang on. No tools, no faith, no armor, no nothing that they get blessed with. They're just giving a pep talk and told, go back out again. Let the devil beat you up some more. You got me? So what we have, folks, is a real gospel. When you have a real gospel in you, you're compelled by God to take that out there to them. You don't sit back with a real gospel, knowing what the compromise is, knowing what the liberal church does and what they think and how they operate. And you have what's real. You don't sit back and just let it happen. What do you do? You get out there in full armor and you go forth and you tell people. And you don't let somebody try to soften your message. You got me? And you don't harden your message when, you know, you understand what I'm saying. You don't play around with this. It's not silly putty. It is what it is. The Holy Spirit tailors a message for each individual for what they need at the time they need it. You got to trust that unction and you got to trust that God sent you and you got to trust that God knows that person that you're in contact with. He knows everything. And just let him guide your words and guide your actions toward that person. If you get a, a sense that that person's needing to, to confess their sin, then you tell them, you know, is there something that you know that's, that you should, you've been doing you shouldn't do and you want to ask God to forgive you for it? You, we don't talk to people like that anymore. We don't want to grease the, the, the uh, slippery road and let them slide in, you know, safe. You didn't have to confess anything. You know, that kind of nonsense. We got to stop that, folks. We can't be affected by this liberal thinking and this nonsense thinking. Everybody that knows you should know you're a Christian. They should definitely know you're a Christian. 
And I'm not talking about just the other safe Christians. I'm talking about the sinners that know you should know you're a Christian and know you're sincere about serving God. And when God calls upon you to speak to them or pray for them or something like that, you be ready. You be ready and don't get distracted by this goofy. You don't need more doctrine. You know, you need to get out and use what you have. I see people in countries that have less teaching than we have and do more. You know, you see, the, you get letters from people all the time. Can you come preach with us? I want to say, brother, you're doing a bang-up job. You're telling me you're doing all this for God. You don't need me to come and tell you nothing. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's just so how insecurity permeates and hovers around believers in, in our work and what we do. So easy to give in to an insecure thought and thinking you need something and you don't really need just need to use what you have. You know what I'm saying? Use what you have and let God work with the rest. Praise God. Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to hear your word and to know what you're saying to the church. And we're your people, Lord, and I thank you for giving us understanding about what our job is here. Our job is not to try and soft pedal anything or toughen it up or harden it up or or modify your message in any way, but just to trust you that if we open our mouth, you'll fill it with words and that we are here to give the words. We're to preach. We're not to control what happens after the preaching. That's up to you. You give the increase and we pray for increase everywhere that we sow seed. We pray for increase everywhere that we preach the gospel. We pray for those seeds to bear fruit and those seeds to increase. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> Miss Juana, can you or little Howard put on some music and we'll pray some and see what God wants to. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anybody needs prayer, just come on up. We'll do it that way. <clears throat> Believe God that all needs are met. If we need to do some prayer and, and let people receive from the hand of God, we can do that.